There is a voice inside of you that whispers all day long, I feel that this is right for me. I know that this is wrong. No teacher, preacher, parent, friend, or wise man can decide what's right for you. Just listen to the voice that speaks inside. That's Shel Silverstein's The Voice. I love Shel Silverstein. I love him so much that when I was looking for the poem that I thought was written by him, The Road Not Taken, supposedly by some joker named Robert Frost, <laughs> I, uh, I stumbled upon this poem. What did you think? What did you think about The Voice? Who doesn't listen to The Voice that speaks inside. Think about how you've made major life decisions. Don't we all ultimately decide what is right for us? No one told you who to marry, where to live, what job to take. Okay, maybe some people told you. Uh, my mom told me that I should marry Ashley or date her, and I'm thankful that she did. But at the end of the day, even in that decision, Ashley and I got married because we wanted to. Isn't listening to the voice inside and doing what's right for you inescapable? Isn't what Shel Silverstein preaches the most natural thing in the world? Well, today we conclude our topical series in the book of Proverbs by considering two voices, our voice and God's voice, our word, God's word, who you listen to, what voice you listen to will determine what path in life you're on, the path of death or the path of life. In this mini series in the book of Proverbs entitled The Key to Life, we've considered the spectrum of life from kids to parents poverty to riches, pain to pleasure, and today, the granddaddy of them all, life and death. Proverbs is a curriculum of wisdom to help navigate life's complexities wisely. The Proverbs describe, often in short and pithy sayings, the way the world generally works. And Proverbs gives us the key to living well in God's world. The key to life is having God's wisdom as our guide. You might expect that for this sermon, I'm basically going to say at the end of the day, you know, you need to listen to God if you want to go to heaven. If you listen to your own voice, you're going to go to hell. But Proverbs isn't as concerned as much with life after death as it is with the here and now. What does it mean to live well in God's world today? How do you take the path of life as opposed to the path of death in your decisions, in your relationships, in your words? Well, take me to your leader and I will show you what path you're on. Once we figure out whose voice we're listening to, then we will know if we're on the path of life or death. The guiding voice on your journey determines what path you are on. So my goal today is to help you discern what path 
You are on in life, and I want to persuade you to choose the path less traveled because that path will make all the difference in the end. So let's consider two paths this morning. The first is the path of death. The second is the path of life. Point one, your voice guides you on the path of death. Death in Proverbs is not the physical end-of-life event, usually. Death is personified in Proverbs. Death comes out of the grave and walks around in everyday clothes in the book of Proverbs. For this sermon, think of death as a zombie, the head zombie, the zombie that wants to make everyone else a zombie. Uh, To follow the path of death is to be like a zombie. But in the Proverbs, zombies, they don't look creepy. They look perfectly healthy and normal on the outside, but they're rotting on the inside. So first, let's think about how the living dead came to be. How did it all begin? Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. This is a virus that's more common than the common cold. It's the virus that has infected 100% of the living, with one exception, and the pride always leads to death. Today, though, we celebrate confidence, don't we? We celebrate the confident person, the confident athlete, communicator, and leader who inspires us all. We're told we should be like them. We, should, we are told early on to believe in ourselves, to shoot for the stars, that we can be anyone that we want to be and do anything that we want to do as long as we send our mind to it. We are told uh, that we are to pursue self-actualization, self-improvement, uh, listen to self-talk, pay attention, self-focus, self-discipline, self-acceptance, self-forgiveness, self-kindness, self-love, self-empowerment, self-esteem, self-realization, self-assertiveness, self-enhancement. This is what it's all about today. The cocaine of self is in the city's water. It has infected our blood. It's how we make sense of our lives. It's where we begin and end in so many of life's decisions. It's what keeps us going. It's our adrenaline. It's our energy. And we love it. We love the sovereign self. We praise self. We respect ourselves. You know, in 2015, just eight short years ago, Elizabeth Holmes was an up-and-coming tech genius who graced the cover of Fortune, Forbes, and New York Times Magazine, among many others. Her net worth at its height was an estimated $9 billion. That was in 2015. She was hailed as the next Steve Jobs. She hired and fired ruthlessly and didn't listen to experts in the field of science and blood work, which was her field. She said that she had developed a new technology that tests blood for common diseases with a single finger stick, a single drop of blood. That was the claim. There was only one small problem. The technology didn't work. But that didn't deter her. Her influence and popularity continued to skyrocket. She traded on her self-confidence, her charisma, her discipline, convincing some of the most successful and powerful people in our country. CEOs, former cabinet members, a four-star general, and other leaders all invested heavily 
in Elizabeth Holmes' company. And just recently, this year, Elizabeth Holmes was sentenced to 11 years in prison for fraud and conspiracy. Once on top of the world, now humiliated and at the very bottom of the barrel. That's a dramatic story of pride and a great fall. But friends, Elizabeth Holmes isn't all that different from all of us. Sure, our story is not so dramatic, but we, like Holmes, can convince ourselves that what we want and what we think is right, even when all evidence points to the contrary. So, we slowly twist the truth and even use other people to get what we want. Proverbs tells us repeatedly that there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. We see that in Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. There is a big gap between what we think is right and what is really right. But in our pride, we conclude, ah, there's really not that much of a gap, pretty much the same thing what is really right, and what is right for us. And this is especially true. Our pride convinces us that there is little to no gap when it comes to ethics and morality. If something works for you, well then, good for you. If it works for you, that's great. Yet, haven't we all had the experience just in everyday life of being really confident about something, but then turns out that we're wrong, whether in directions or in a conversation where we remember something, come to find out we remember it, remembered it opposite, the reverse was true. What is it that makes us think that we couldn't be wrong when it comes to small and significant matters alike? What is it about us? I think it comes back to what we considered at the very beginning. Who is it? Who's, what's that inner voice saying to you? Who, who decides how you use your money? Parent, interact with your family, even minister and serve in the church. Choose your friends and what to talk about with others. If you're anything like me, so often it comes back to the sovereign self. We listen to that inner voice inside and look out if anyone suggests that we are out of line, wrong, or in need of some help. That's the problem. Now, what does that look like? In Proverbs 5, we see a picture of a young man on the path of death. He's ignored his father's teaching and pride. He didn't listen to those wiser and more experienced than him. Ultimately, he rejected discipline, correction, and instruction. Listen to how this father characterizes his son who refused to accept his discipline and teaching. Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him. 
He will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. The man who went after this forbidden woman is trapped, entangled, lost, and dead in his stupid sin. Proverbs says it how it is. This guy's a stupid idiot. In verse 23, the word for lost there at the end, it's actually the same word that's often used for drunk. He's stumbling around, drunk, but very confident. The point is not so much that also he's going to like die in the future. It's that he has been, he's drunk in the path of sin right now. He is lost today. My first experience in a drastic way that I can remember of death among the living was the music minister at the church that I grew up at. Uh, The the music minister had a seven-year affair, secret affair, with another leader in the church. It destroyed two families, uh, two marriages, split the church. Uh, My father, who was serving as a leader in the church at the time, said that it was the most difficult thing that he had to deal with, the fallout of the secret affair in church leadership up to that point. Isn't this how sin works? Isn't this how pride works? Secret sin, it's, it's, like, it's like a zombie. I mean, it's like it spreads. It implodes other relationships. It infects others. It cannot be contained. Now, I think probably many at the time Consider how could this music minister at this church and this church leader have been so stupid? Well, I'm sure it didn't happen all at once. They didn't wake up one morning as like, hey, let's blow up our lives. Let's destroy this church. No, that's rarely how pride in sin works. Instead, we make small compromises. We don't want to be legalistic, so we allow for certain behaviors and lingering moments that aren't bad in of themselves. We foster disappointment and bitterness inside, thinking we don't deserve maybe this this suffering and this pain that we know. And we slide. I often quote C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters. It's worth hearing again. Indeed, The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. This music minister was unwilling to accept God's wisdom, instruction, and discipline. He was unwilling to say no to his cravings and desires. You know, he was we find out he was feeling unfulfilled in his marriage, lonely. Uh, he deeply desired an emotional connection with someone else. You know, those desires for intimacy, for pleasure, for closeness are not bad in of themselves. We all, we all have those feelings. But this music minister and so many of us want those things and think we deserve them on our own terms. So in our pride... We reject the way of wisdom. We reject good counsel, wise instruction, and then we find ourselves a place maybe where we never thought we would find ourselves on the path of death. Happens slowly. 
You may not be having an adulterous affair or conning people out of millions today, but are you stupid? Not intellectually. I know many of you, very smart, but morally. A moral zombie has a proud heart that rejects discipline. I know that there must be zombies in this room today. Zombies who know their Bibles, who have good theology, as the demons do. You know, one of, I think, the scariest truths in Scripture is that many who are on the path of death are convinced that they're on the path of life. This is what pride does to us. It blinds us. As we discussed before, the voices in our world aren't helping us in this regard. So where are you resistant to the Lord's instruction? Where in your life are you resistant from hearing correction from a wise friend that goes against your pride? Is it in how you use your time? In your career? In your family relationships? In your ministry, use of money, when it comes to your retirement and savings? Pride doesn't want to walk in the light with others in community. Uh, pride keeps things under control. I got this under control in its own mind. It keep, keeps respectable sins secret. You know, those sins that pretty much everybody struggles with, but I've got it under control. Just, you know, a little porn, a little anger, just, get, I, just a little bit drunk. You know, just, I, I just check my, my 401k and my savings and my retirement just a few times a day, obsessing about different things, politics, sports, vacations, different hobbies that have gotten a little obsessive, but I've got it under control. Friends, I believe that we need a better guide than our own voice on the path of life. Our own rationalizations and minimizations of things. We can look fine on the outside. We can show up here at church and look like we are a good Sunday Christian, but we can be rotting on the inside. So who is going to help you in your spiritual sloth, in your spiritual drunkenness? How are you going to sober up? And how are you helping others here in this church family today from becoming moral zombies? As I said before, the pride in our church is probably not going to look like it did for Elizabeth Holmes or that music minister that I talked about. We, we have, that happens. But many of us, I think, kill ourselves softly, slowly, and subtly. The path of destruction, the path of death is marked by independence from God, who is the author of life. This is the natural thing that happens when we, we reject the author of life, just like our first parents, Adam and Eve, did. And this is the path that is most natural to us, that seems most logical. This is what we're born into. We're born walking this path, but it's not the path that we were born for. And that brings us to our second point, the second path, the path less traveled. The first path was broad and wide, looked appealing. The second path 
maybe not as appealing looking at first glance. It's narrow, maybe overgrown with weeds. Point two, God's voice guides you on the path of life. Point two, God's voice guides you on the path of life. In the first point, we considered how death kind of metaphorically crawls up out of the grave, proudly struts around. You could say that the path of death is paved with pride. But what do people on the path of life look like? What does it look like to walk the path of life? People on the path of life aren't much to look at at first glance. The lifers don't draw attention to themselves. They're not loud and proud. Proverbs 22.4 says, Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. Those on the path of life aren't necessarily the leaders, the articulate, or the gifted. They aren't even necessarily the, the deacons, the pastors, uh, the elders in the church, although we hope they will be. People on the path of life are characterized, we see this again and again in the book of Proverbs, by humility, the fear of the Lord. They accept correction more eagerly than flattery. They rejoice in God's instruction. Our sister Jen McCauley sent me an article this week about Charles Simeon. Many of you will know that name, Charles Simeon, because of the workshops, the preaching and teaching workshops named after him that we host even here at this church. I think, though, that those in Simeon's day would have been surprised to hear that anything was named after him. Uh, for the first 10 to 12 years of Charles Simeon's ministry as a pastor in England, members of the church literally locked up the pews so that others couldn't sit and listen to him preach on Sunday mornings. They, they would have like locks and gates on the pews. They didn't want anybody to hear from him. Uh, they also didn't let him preach for the first almost decade of his ministry at their normal Sunday afternoon or evening service. Uh, he had a ministry at the university in which he was regularly ridiculed um, and derided for his like simple ministry of God's work. Because all he was trying to do in his preaching was just to, here's the main point from God's word, and that's the main point of my sermon, and just like pressing that home. But that wasn't popular in his circles. He even had some threats on his, uh, violent threats against him. But what did Charles Simeon do? He kept at it for 54 years in the same church, the church that often hated him. You know, had Charles Simeon been a proud man, I don't think he could have persevered in pastoral ministry there. In fact, Simeon often writes about how he cultivated a humble and contrite heart. Listen to how he wrote about how he struggled for a vibrant prayer life. This is what he said. You often feel that your prayers scarcely reach the ceiling, but oh, get into this humble spirit by considering how good the Lord is and how evil your enemies are. No, how evil you, you are. And then prayer will mount on wings of faith to heaven. The sigh, the groan of a broken heart will soon grow through soon go through the ceiling up to heaven, I into the very bosom of God. As modern people, we kind of grimace at that, that statement, consider how evil you are. 
but what Simeon understood and what all the humble who walk the path of life understand is their need for the Lord as their guide. Uh, the, the voice of the humble, the voice inside is open to being corrected by God's word because they see God's will crossing their will as life, as good, as the key to life. We see this in Proverbs 10, 17. The one who follows instruction is on the path to life. The one who rejects correction, but the one who rejects correction goes astray. Or we can consider Proverbs 6, 23, for a command is a lamp, teaching is a light, and corrective discipline is the way to life. Now, correction and instruction suggest that we need help, and we don't like that. It feels more natural to listen to the voice inside, but only those who follow this instruction that comes from outside themselves, who accept corrective discipline, seeing the teaching that comes from outside as a light and a lamp to guide us on the path of life, know what it is to know the Lord. Uh, listen, I want you to see the progression of, of this, of what it means to hear and follow instruction from the Lord in Proverbs 13, 14, and 15. We're going to consider this quickly. First, Proverbs 13, 14. A wise person's instruction is a fountain of life, turning people away from the snares of death. We're like, okay, I'm good with that. You know, like a life coach or someone, you know, a wise sage of your choice, whoever that might be. I don't know if it's Oprah, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Dr. Phil, Cal Newport, Barry Weiss. You know, you fill in the blank. That, that person, that podcast you listen to that you really appreciate their wisdom. Yeah, okay, I'm willing to accept that person's instruction in my life. But then notice Proverbs 14, 27, a very similar proverb to Proverbs 13, 14, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning people away from the snares of death. Do you see the similarities there? Seems that maybe those, some of those names that I mentioned drop off here. Because um, the wise person's instruction is characterized by being undergirded by the fear of the Lord. What characterizes the wise person's instruction is motivated and leading to fearing God. Step three, what we see in Proverbs 15, the fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches and humility comes before honor. So the fear of the Lord is what a wise person teaches. The fear of the Lord is what a wise person teaches. And to accept the fear of the Lord will take a work that we cannot do ourselves inside our hearts. It takes a supernatural work of humility in our hearts. This goes back to our motto, for the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. To fear the Lord, as we've thought about over these last couple months, is to be in awe of the Lord, to tremble in his presence, to revere him as holy for who he is, and not just to have this like attitude, but to accept and obey his instruction, to understand that this instruction comes to us in the words often of, just as we consider it in Proverbs 13, 14, God's wisdom often comes to us in the words of a loving friend, or maybe an elder, or a parent, teacher, small group leader, or a fellow church member, as they point us to the Lord. So, friends at Henson, are you opening yourself up to receive the wise teaching? of others here in this church? Are you putting yourself 
in the way of that? Are you asking for that? That is why we covenant together. That is why we gather, so that we would understand and know the fear of the Lord and receive that encouragement and help from others. Are you humble enough to receive the Lord's discipline in order to walk the path of life? Several years ago, our church uh, voted to discipline a young man by the name of Drew for unrepentant sin. I asked Drew this morning if it was okay if I shared this, his story. Drew wasn't a fringe, just a fringe member of our church. Uh, he was very involved, sometimes even helping us in worship. And uh, yeah, years ago, we removed him as an act of discipline. But a year ago, some of you were here and remember Drew stood before this congregation and expressed how the Lord had used the discipline and the correction that he had received. He thanked us for loving him enough to discipline him. And he told us how the Lord had used that to bring him back into relationship with the Lord and fellowship with another gospel-preaching church. And we as a church gladly forgave Drew, and uh, were restored to uh, fellowship as a brother with him. Uh, Together as a church, we rejoiced in how we saw spiritual life, the Lord's life at work in Drew. Friends, this is what the path of life looks like. A willingness to follow the Lord, no matter the cost to our reputation, no matter our feelings of self-importance, willing to die to those in order to walk the path of life. I, I wonder if we would be willing to stand before the church and own our sin. Would we be willing to receive correction and be humbled in order to know that greater gain of walking the path of life, knowing the Lord as our guide? Friends, we have a better guide than the inner voice inside. And isn't that a comfort? Isn't that freeing to know that the Lord has drawn near to us in the person of his son and by his spirit, he he leads us, he guides us. Our voice is so often wrong and almost always self-justifying and it leads us astray. But God's voice is always true. His voice is the voice of wisdom. The guide to the path of life has spoken. I wonder if we're listening. Are you listening today? Are we humble enough to embrace the Lord's word for what it is, a tree of life? Are you a tree hugger? Are you drinking from the fountain of life that is his wisdom? God invites us to come and drink deeply. Do we recognize that on the path of life, only this living water can quench our thirst? You know, the beautiful thing about drinking the water of God's word and making the Lord's instruction your guide is nothing can bring true life like him. And all other drinks (laughs) uh, don't taste the same. My my kids, just an example, my kids have all basically lived in Oregon their whole lives. 
Um, and when we go other places outside of Oregon and they taste the water there, they're like, this water is disgusting. <laughs> they refuse to drink that water all too often because, you know, as you guys know, here in Oregon, we have the best water, the best tasting water here. <laughs> Amen. It's the same if you make God's voice of wisdom your drink of choice. In time, all other voices, all other drinks will taste like they have foreign chemicals in them. God's voice is always better than listening to your own voice. But there's still more good news. The good news is that God has not just given us a better, like, external guide. Like, he's, he's here up ahead of us, but, you know, sometimes his, we, it gets blurry, can't see him. That would be good enough, just knowing that he is there on the path with us. But he transforms us on the path of life. He gives us, on the path of life, a new heart. I think we see this in Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. Listen up. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. God isn't just directing us from the outside. His voice isn't just in some ancient book. He has come to dwell with us. He has come to take up residence in our heart. He is in the business of giving people born zombies a new heart that treasures his word, that loves his commands, who, who value God's instruction and healing as the only thing bringing life. Jesus said in John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Here in John 7, Jesus may have been meditating on Proverbs 4, 23. Jesus came to give us new life inside by the Spirit, to transform us so that we would die to our pride and instead flow with the very life of God himself. That is why the Proverbs can say that God's word is like healing to us, but then when we speak, it can be healing to others. All of this was according to God's ancient promise in Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Tired and suffering friend. If you're going to walk the path of life, you need a better guide than yourself. And you need a new heart. You need a different source of sustenance. You need a new compass. And God has provided all of this and more in his son and by his spirit. The Lord speaks to us in his word, gives us a new heart that loves him and clings to him. And he strengthens us by his spirit to obey his word, to love his word, to receive correction and instruction and seek to follow him in the community of his people. So if you are a child of God, if you understand yourself to be a Christian, I'd invite you to come and drink deeply of Christ yet again.
Even as we celebrate the Lord's Supper here in a moment, and as we receive God's word, drink deeply of Christ. Make him your delight. He is the wisdom of God. He is the fountain of life. He is the tree of life. He's one, the one pulsating with life and healing with his touch, who has unfathomable love. He is the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He will guide you. He will keep you. He walks with you. He talks with you. He carries us, forgives us, and heals us and comforts us on the journey. This is who we have come to worship today. This is who we've come to listen to today. All who hear his voice today can drink deeply of his wisdom. If you come to him humbly, if you ask him to help you, fear him and tremble in his holy presence. Jesus is the key to life, and he gives instruction to us, to whether you're a kid or a parent, whether you're in poverty or riches, whether you're knowing pain or pleasure, whether your life feels like life or death today, his life can be your life in all these circumstances. Your heart can be made new and become a source of life because it beats and rejoices in him. Just a very small practical application as we conclude our series in Proverbs as I mentioned on Sunday night, many of you are aware, if you look at the book of Proverbs, it has 31 chapters of godly wisdom, perhaps. You could read the proverb of the day or make it a part of your, your daily walk with the Lord to hear his godly wisdom into your life. You could ask a friend to join you and maybe read it over the phone or meditate on it together um, and ask how these sometimes seemingly random sayings find their fulfillment and source in our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. In Proverbs, we hear the words of our trustworthy guide lead us on the path of life in some of the most ordinary but also consequential moments of our lives. You know, if you're not a Christian today, we want you to come and walk on the path of life with us in Christ. And it's not a path of rules. It's not a system of beliefs. Uh, not even a better method for living or something that's going to immediately make you feel really wonderful about yourself. We want you to know something even better. God commands us to turn from our pride and humbly trust in his son. Jesus died and rose again so that we could have life in his name, so that we could be forgiven of our sins and know the hope of eternal life and know his eternal life dwelling in us today. He promises to come and make this world new, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's the hope of all who walk in repentance and faith in him. And we press on. We press on on this path in humility as we listen to God's voice spoken in the word made flesh, Jesus, the life and light of men. So will you follow Will you follow him on this path of life today, embracing Christ as your only hope in this life and the next? Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask now for humble hearts. Lord, help us not to despise your instruction or loathe your discipline Help us to receive your discipline 
as your loving kindness in our lives, knowing that you, Father, are with us and for us because of your Son. Help us to trust you with all our heart and not rely on our own understanding. We pray that we would know you, Father, in all your ways, that you would make our paths straight, help us to fear you and turn away from evil. We thank you for the perfect wisdom that is found in our Savior and Lord, the one who speaks to us and who gives us new life. Lord, help us to delight ourselves in you most of all. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.